Hey, y'all, good to be with you tonight. I've got my friend over here, David Glinky. And uh, we have our special ga- guest, Gabriel Nadalis. And we're just uh, excited about our evening here as we're going to find out Gabriel's story. He was a member and uh, very involved. Well, I guess you can't really be a member, but <laughs> you were associated with Antifa through a season and then came out of that. And you've written a book, and we're going to be talking about that. But before we get to some of those things, we have some announcements and different things we want you to know about. And David's going to bring you up to speed on that. I'm not sure if you guys had a chance to tune in on Sunday, either at church or uh, at the live stream, but Kirk Cameron did an amazing job this last Sunday. And um, if you're, when you're watching today, you can do a shout out. It's his 50th birthday. You put it in the chat, just wish him happy birthday. But he has his event this Saturday um, there's the slide. Amazing set of guests. Look at that. Is it Rob's going to be there? Kirk's going to be there. Charlie Kirk's going to be there. Look at that lineup. So the way this is working. Now you look at that slide. It's going to be playing on Sunday at five and eight o'clock, but it's going to be recorded on Saturday, the seventeenth at ten a.m. So. We are really encouraging you to go to the website, find out some more information. It's uh, www.nonessential.live. Kirk uh, really encouraged everybody to register. There's a registration tab on there so they can start to get a count. But uh, Chino Hills sent 500 people out to us when uh, Rob started to uh, go through the trials that the church was going to when we opened up. So uh, they're asking for the same thing. So we're trying to get as many people going that direction. But just remember, it's being recorded on Saturday at 10 a.m. in Chino Hills. Get more information at uh, www.nonessential.live and register there. Um, the other thing is, if you, Rick did, you did an amazing live stream Sunday with uh, Jennifer Jacobs from the oh, Cheesecake. Yeah. So if Jen you missed that one, you got to that you got to watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is that I'm going to remind you again. We haven't talked this about this for a while, but we're getting a lot of subscribers on on our live stream, and that's how we get great guests like you. Thank you. So. Um, we would encourage you to do that for a couple different reasons. As we get closer to the election season, uh, well, in the season, but close to the official uh, November date for voting, we're going to be uh, doing some more special alerts. So please subscribe. Also hit the bell at the top so you can get some notifications in case we do some last-minute things. And then also I'm going to call out uh, uh, Rob's Twitter feed, which is at Rob. Uh, underscore McCoy underscore, and we'll put that in the comment section. That is the way that the uh, the staff that is booking our guests, that uh, uh, if you have questions, comments, suggestions, that's a great place to go. So uh, Twitter feed at Rob underscore McCoy underscore. Go there, and then you can find um, um, some information, but plus give us some feedback, comments, and help uh, getting some great guests like we have tonight. So you did all the research on his background. He, he knows more about you than you know about yourself. So it's, a, it's, it's definitely an odd feeling to know that people know about me. Uh, isn't that amazing? So, yes, would it. I greet you? Hi, Gabriel. And you look at me like, and who are you? Are you the janitor? <laughs> right? <laughs> it, 
it's just uh, the nature, but you're traveling all over, uh, going mm-hmm. to college campuses, so you probably have this experience every week. You're going somewhere, meeting new faces. and Definitely. I mean, I'm very happy to always uh, meet a lot of new people. Uh, last week, though, there were some people at Virginia Tech who knew about me, but they also didn't like me. Um, there were self-proclaimed members of Antifa who attended my speech. There's this one girl specifically who would not stop interrupting me. Seemed like every single sentence, just for context, the amount of time I've been speaking, she probably would have interrupted me like four or five different times. It was insane. Eventually, uh, she was actually escorted off with, from, um, by the police. But, you know, it's, it's a real shame because my message whenever I go to college campuses is really understanding one another, even if it might be an extreme idea. Yet she made my point exactly because she, didn't, she couldn't just stand there for 20 minutes, which is my speech, the length of my speech, mm-hmm. and just have questions at the end. She just wanted to hear herself speak. And it's, it's definitely a problem that we're seeing today on college campuses that so many students want to just hear themselves speak, but they deny others that same right. Yeah. Out yeah. of curiosity, did you do the same thing when you were on the other side? Um, as far as, a little bit. <laughs> Never college campuses, uh, but definitely did shut some people down. Yeah. Um, I can tell you, and I mean, just for context, I wasn't in Antifa for that very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of it was in my senior year of high school. Um, but I remember one specific incident uh, in high school, the, the administrators or the school was having a boys versus girls kind of thing, you know, like school spirit type of deal. Um, well, I showed up in a tutu and started holding a sign trying to shut people down, saying like, how bigoted can you be? How sexist is this? You know, I was only one person there though. Yeah. <laughs> Had I been with a lot of my friends, we probably would have done something more than just me. <laughs> yeah, you would have been much more disruptive. Yeah, much more disruptive. If the mob that we see in on some streets in America, mm-hmm. uh, that size of mob can really shut people down, intimidate people. So before, we're already jumping into the story because it's really a fun story. And, and David and I are both excited to hear Gabriel's story. And I just want to give you a little background about uh, Gabriel. He has written a book called Behind the Black Mask, My Times as an Antifa Activist. And uh, you've grown up in uh, the LA area. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're from this neck of the woods, mm-hmm. and now you're uh, still currently going to law school, or yeah, yes? um, I'm. Uh, I travel so much yeah. that I have to take advantage of the Kim Kardashian program. I'm basically doing what Kim Kardashian, like self-study uh, for, for law. But that oh, requires I didn't know me. there was a Kim Kardashian <laughs> University. I know, I know her no, and Kanye um, took taking over the world. But <laughs> so Kim Kardashian is doing a lot of self-study with a okay. supervision of attorneys. I'm basically doing the same thing. I see. Okay. Um, I'm go- I have to take my first California exam in a couple months. So it, I literally cannot go to a traditional law school because I travel so much. Yes. I was in D.C. just this morning. Um, I, in a week from now, I'm going to be in North Dakota, then South Dakota. Not to mention that I was in Texas and Montana, Iowa, and um, yeah. a lot of other states just this year alone. Yes. Um, 
And you've had opportunities to uh, be on Fox and Friends, The Ingram Angle, Tucker Carlson Tonight, uh, Varney and Company, Fox Business Network. And uh, we're going to get to this, save it for a little later that you were invited to the White House for a, a special occasion. But uh, I really wanted to back up since you are going to be telling us a story about getting involved in Antifa and where you are today. And it's so fun when you have time like this in a uh, uh, dialogue mm-hmm. and not just a monologue for the interaction that we can have. And just really, we're fascinated with people's stories. And so we're excited about your story, Gabriel, and tell us uh, how your journey uh, and the, the really the message that began to win you into the Antifa movement. You said it started back in junior high. I mean, yeah, it's... It's interesting to hear so many people be interested about what I did because whenever I think about it, I wasn't doing things for the sake of others or I was just kind of doing what I thought was right. Now I see everything that I was doing. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes that I did. So it's all, sometimes I feel really uncomfortable just talking about that because I, I mean... I don't know if like I ever pictured myself being in a, in a church talking about how I used to break windows. You know, like it's not something that um that I ever picture of. myself. I, yeah, I'm not definitely not proud about it. Yeah. But I remember that I was doing it because I thought it was the right thing to do, and it all started because I had this deep hatred of of America. Basically, I thought that America stood for the worst in human nature, and I think uh, I specifically place blame on two groups as I was growing up. Um, first, I'm, I was born in Mexico City. So when I was growing up, I started watching a lot of Spanish media, um, Univision, Telemundo. And you know, a lot of people think that CNN is biased, but they have no idea what's going on on, on these networks. Uh, when I ser- first started really paying attention to politics was in 2006, in which a, a Republican congressman from Wisconsin he, he introduced the bill to make illegal immigration criminal. Now, obviously, illegal immigration is illegal, but it wasn't criminal, and it's still not. Mm-hmm. But I remember the coverage on Univision and Telemundo making it seem like the worst thing that could ever happen in the human history, the beginning of a new Holocaust. That's the picture that they wanted to paint. Now, I still disagree with that bill. I don't think it's a, a good bill for many reasons, but it's much more complex than Univision and Telemundo wanted to make it. Right. And... Uh, but that was basically the beginning of me kind of looking at Republicans or even like, sad to say, like white people as like my enemy because, mm-hmm. oh, it's like that Wisconsin person, the Midwest, all these people. The white people. Yeah, the white yeah. people. Yeah. And it's just kind of, it, it planted a seed in my head that kind of slowly started growing. And, you know, a lot of seeds are sometimes planted and a lot of them never grow. Right. But when you keep fostering them and watering it with other ideas within, within, within a similar strain, that's when you start developing this anti-American belief. Mm-hmm. And the second group really has to do in middle school and high school. I mean, I had teachers in my elementary, I'm sorry, my middle school and my high school who really despised America. Mm-hmm. I talk about one specific person in my book. He's a biology teacher. And Looking back, I, I just remember sitting there and just thinking like, okay, he's got a point. Like, <laughs> you know? But I remember we were, he was teaching us about biology and evolution, all these things. And then instead of uh, really like 
putting down the theory and letting us know this is what Darwin believed. He said, no, you know what? You guys are all stupid if you believe in God. And then he started going on in this tirade about how his children were not stupid and they weren't idiots because he raised them to be atheists. And I had many different examples of that in which my, maybe not as much um, a teacher where he would stand in front of the classroom and berate us, but so many teachers who basically kept planting more seeds in me that America was my enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you, so you get those seeds planted, mm-hmm. you, your heart's kind of fertile for uh, the next step. How do you go to the next step where you start to engage in a group like Antifa when you have that, your heart ripe for being able to be join one of those groups? How do you go to the next step? Well, before I even joined the anti-fascist movement, I was already a liberal activist. I mean, in 2009, a lot of uh, uh, your viewers may remember we had Governor Schwarzenegger, and there was the Pink Friday protest in which they were trying to get uh, a lot of, um, basically a lot of teachers were getting laid off because there was budget cuts all throughout the state. It was a very complex issue. But again, the teachers unions and uh, the LA Times and all these California uh, specific news uh, sites, they wanted to make it seem like it was a uh, Schwarzenegger versus teachers. He hated education. So when I started first getting involved politically, going to marches, was with the teachers' unions. That then led me to do anti-war demonstrations in Los Angeles and, and a lot of other things like that. I started growing a passion for animal rights. I went vegetarian. I went vegan. And by the time I was like in, in my 11th, 10th, 11th grade, I was already this person who despised America, and I wanted to do much more about it. So you're born in Mexico City. Sure. You, uh, Telemundo and the various uh, uh, input you were getting, Mm -hmm. watering those seeds. You hated two groups. Was it white people and Republicans or or Americans? Yeah, I mean, and and it's again, whenever you say it like that, it just makes me feel bad. (laughs) Like, it really does, because it just... I don't like to admit that I had prejudices against like white people. It's not something that I'm like proud of, you know. It, it's okay, Gabriel, because <laughs> David and I, as middle-aged white people, are the uh, the terrible oppressors of the world, and so we are carrying our own bag of shame uh, from what you know is going on in the world. And honestly, uh, just you know, from a Christian ethic, there is no. There's no racial issues. We're all God's, you know, yeah, creation. Yeah. So we have a, a such a free soul. So we can joke lighthearted with no, no. Uh, I know. We just, don't hold it against you. <laughs> but you, but the, you know the other thing, the question that I asked you before, and that maybe this will, uh, uh, is that we have students, parents out there that have kids, students that are going off to colleges and. Those seeds are being planted in their hearts. By teachers or faculty? By teachers, by some of the groups that you just said. So I think it's nice if you're honest and open and say, hey, I was ashamed about this. Because these parents are wondering, how did you go down that path? Because some of them are saying, how many, how many people have you met at church that are going, my son, my daughter no. is going here, and yeah. I'm concerned, I'm worried they're going down this path. So the more honest and open that you could s- t- tell us about that path, maybe you can help some of these parents that are concerned mm-hmm. about their kids going to some colleges. So is there any words of wisdom for uh, parents who 
see their kids going down a path. If you, could, if you, if you look at Charlie Kirk or somebody, he's like, don't send him off to college. Elon <laughs> Musk had a thing today, don't go to college. So what, you know, I'm not sure if we're ready to preach that type of thing, but what's, what's, what's your, what's your I message think, to parents? I think by the time students all go to college, those seeds have already been planted. Um, college is, sure, we have to be fighting in the colleges because that's where a lot of things are being tested and then uh, they're being applied through society as a whole. But the battle for the soul of America and for the conservative and the Christian message really starts much younger. There's so much social media out there that they want to boil down very complex issues into small little taglines that, that make people feel good about themselves. Yeah. Things like the name Antifa. Of course, fascism is bad. And, you know, a group that's suppo it's supposed to fight against fascism, that sounds like a great thing. But again, it's not that simple. The same thing goes for the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. Of course, Black Lives Matter. Of course. But the Black Lives Matter movement is not fighting for black lives. In fact, it's a movement that is intent. Uh, it wants to destroy the system of government that we have because it wants to push a Marxist agenda. I mean, mm. the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, they said it. It's, they're, they're trained organizers, they're trained Marxists, yeah. which on that line, though, um, whenever they said, when they first, uh, it was first revealed that they were trained Marxists, everyone in the conservative movement just, they latched onto that word, Marxist. But a lot of people miss the first phrase. That's something that only radical activists really understood. Trained organizers. Yes. What is that? Mm -hmm. Because train and organize what? Well, there's actually a radical leftist tactic called the mass line. And it was invented by Ma Zedong. And it is the reason why China is a communist country today. Mm -hmm. The way you organize through the mass line is by infiltrating honest movements, whenever you see a problem in society, you go into it, these mass line organizers, they, they go to it, and then they inject it with Marxist beliefs. Mm. And then they falsely accuse capitalism as being the source of that problem. Mm. That was incredibly effective in China, and they're trying to do it today. So a lot of people missed it, but they were saying trained organizers, well, they were trained in the mass line. Mm -hmm. And is so that, you, find, that, you find okay. a great movement, Mm -hmm. And and then you infiltrate it, yeah. and so and they are trained organizers. So very uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter are two different things. One is very, uh, I mean, they have a website. They're mm -hmm. organized. There's leadership, and Antifa is nebulous and a loose affiliation of ideas through relationships and people that have this um, have embraced this agenda and this ideology. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of overlap between the two groups. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that, Ed, that the Black Lives Matter is part of Antifa, mm -hmm. but I, it would be naive to say that a lot of Black Lives Matters have joined Antifa due okay. to everything that's going on right okay. now. They both look at themselves as freedom fighters. They definitely yeah. do. Yeah. They definitely do. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that you told us before is that you came from a great family. So, yeah. so this is kind of, these ideas, these seeds are being planted kind of behind their back or mm -hmm. in, in plain view. So, so back to that idea of talking to parents out there, you came from a great family and you still were getting some of these ideas into your heart and soul. And, and I mean, I mean I'm, my family, their main concern coming to this country 
was making sure that we didn't have their childhoods. And I mean, um, I talk a little bit about my childhood in Mexico in, in my book, and it was horrendous. And I cannot imagine. You know, one of the things that I'm very, very proud about my dad, uh-huh. that he never let us go hunger, hungry. Mm-hmm. But my dad, he knows what hunger is. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, when we came to America, their main concern was to not repeat the mistakes of Mexico, to make sure that we always had a home, to make sure that we had food on the table and that our families stayed together. That was their concern. Um, unfortunately, then we had so many things that they just weren't, they just didn't see it, you know? Now, I've talked to my dad nowadays, and he kind of sees what ha- what's going on with Univision and Telemundo and all these different networks, and he wishes he had done something about it, making sure to be more of a kind of like seeing exactly what we were being spoon-fed by the media and by yeah. the school. And how old were you when you guys came? Um, different ages. Um, well, for me specifically, I, I might have been nine, nine years old. It was in 2002. Okay. I think. A little bit after 9-11. So would you say that your parents, knowing what uh, their, their life in Mexico was mm-hmm. and the, their life in America, is it, was America, though it may not be, quote, this grandiose dream, but is it uh, an improvement from what they came from? My mom always tells me that poverty in America is wealth in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it really is. I mean, there's just countless examples that I can think of just in my childhood. And I mean, I, w- I, mean, I was born in Mexico and, and raised like the first part of my life. But realistically, I only lived, I only remember about six years right. of my life in Mexico. And even that's enough for me to tell you that I'm never going back. <laughs> I love my family. I'd visit them. And uh, once in a while, last time I was back in uh, about a year ago, you know, I really enjoy seeing a lot of cultural things. But I go as a tourist. Mm-hmm. I'm in America because I want to be an American. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing that... Even, even with that understanding, isn't it, it, it's something that whether it's, uh, you know, the development of who we are, that you could be convinced since you saw what poverty was in Mexico when you saw, and then you saw life in America, but then how it was twisted and turned on its head to be disadvantaged or um, I think America is this awful oppressor. And the reason why... A lot of people, even good conservative people, mistake, have a misunderstanding of what the American dream is. Mm -hmm. And I talk specifically about that. Many people think American dream, Hollywood, big, like fancy cars, um, wealth, mansions, all these things. But that's not the American dream at all. It's not. Whenever you see the American dream as that, then you can point to places that are richer than America in like instances and they then point to them and be like, they have the American dream. But that's not what it is at all. No. Let's hear you define the American dream because I know what to me the American (laughs) dream is. Well, the American dream is this beautiful idea that you can come to this country Mm -hmm. and have the freedom to succeed or to fail. Yes. Or to fail. Mm-hmm. And then if, if you fail, you can stand up because nothing's stopping you. Right. You literally are the maker of your own path. Mm-hmm. Because um, James Asloth, I think that's his name, uh, he coined the American dream. And he said, the American dream is not merely uh, a dream of high wages and, and prosperity. It is the idea that we have freedom. And from that freedom, we have wealth. 
<laughs> but at the same time, you can have wealth with many other ways, but some of them are very unethical. Right. And the way America became free and uh, rather wealthy mm -hmm. is through the ethical way of following freedom. Mm -hmm. And once you understand that the American dream really is freedom, then you start noticing, well, where's the American dream lacking? Why are people poor? Well, we go to downtown LA, we go to Detroit, we go to Chicago, we go mm -hmm. to uh, like certain boroughs of the New York City. All these places that are poor and who are lacking the American dream, it's not because they're lacking wealth, it's because they are lacking freedom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, because a lot of times there's this broad brush of white privilege, but I grew up with a stepdad that was in and out of prison. I'm growing up on food stamps. Mm -hmm. As far as uh, white people growing up in America, we were poor. And, uh, and so, but American poor relative to, right, mm -hmm. is, is still wealth in Mexico. But, but the American dream to me as well is having liberty to pursue your own destiny, to pursue your own passion to, and if you want to be lazy and live that life, then you also have the liberty to do so. Yeah. But the, that's the, I really am thankful that you brought up what this misconception is, is it's mansions and it's, it's, no, the American dream is just your folks to me, because of where I came from, that was the American, just to have a family that could put food on the table and a roof over their head and have love. There's a freedom in the nation and a liberty to do that. Yeah. I think the freedom that allows you to have the opportunity to do anything that you want yeah. and that opportunity, like you said, you can have wealth or you can just hang out and do nothing and there's consequences for that. Sure. But back to the Antifa, what, uh, um, what, so people understand the organization because I'm still, I was researching it before you came. <laughs> what is the, uh, where do they get their funding? Where do they get their backing? Okay. You know, is there, is there a card that you get no. when you become a teasing? Oh, he's reaching for no, a card. This is really funny. The guys at Virginia Tech, which I mentioned, they were teasing me and they gave me my, I finally have my Antifa membership card. I'll shut the camera a little bit. They misspelled my name. <laughs> but, I th <laughs> but I thought it was really funny that they gave it to me. They were trying to mock me. You yeah. don't get a membership card with, when you join Antifa. Okay. Um, oh, these weren't friends that just they, having fun. These, guys, these are people mocking you. Yeah, they were okay. mocking me. And right. I just found it so funny that they misspelled my name that I actually keep it. My, I'm yeah. a card-carrying Antifa member now. <laughs> <laughs> they give you a badge of honor and they don't even know it. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I think really it would be helpful for the audience to really under, uh, explain what Antifa is. Mm -hmm. That'd be great. Antifa is not an idea, as or good old Joe would like to say, <laughs> yeah. or it is not imaginary like Representative Jerry Nadler likes to claim, but it's also not an organization in the traditional way. Mm -hmm. To truly understand Antifa, you have to see it as a movement. Mm -hmm. And within this movement, you have several different radical left-wing organizations, actual organizations, that hide behind the banner of Antifa. Okay. It's the same way that Antifa activists hide their faces with a, mask. with a mask, with a black mask. So they're not identified later on. Mm -hmm. All of these groups, and I mean, I can name several. Uh, some of them use the name Antifa, some of them don't. In, in Portland, you have Rose City Antifa, the Youth Liberation Front. Um, nationally, you have the Redneck Revolt, as well as the John, uh, John Brown Gun Club. 
um, uh, smash racism in D.C. by any means necessary in, in Berkeley, uh, Young Democratic Socialists of America, like all of these groups. Some of them are very expressly Antifa themselves. Some of them, though, are kind of shell groups that feed into the Antifa network. For example, not every single Young Democratic Socialists of America chapter is an actual Antifa group. Mm -hmm. But if you pay attention to some of them, you will see that they will, they will actually filter or um, siphon members from the Young Democratic Socialists of America into the Antifa movement. Specifically, I'm very thankful to have um, had a platform to really talk about this book yeah. because I mentioned. Here, hold it up again. We we, can we put it. Can you put it up on there? There, there you go. go. Sure, that's a better um, shot. There was when I first started doing media, which, by the way, I got to start about that later. Okay. Um, when I first started doing media, um, I was contacted by other Antifa members, more, former Antifa members. And one of them told me that she was in the American Midwest. And I talk about her in my book. And the reason she joined is because she was, uh, she started a Young Democratic Socialist of America chapter. And then all of those, um, all of her members, all of her colleagues or, you know, classmates, then they took that next step to join the Antifa movement. Mm. I see. So, um, as this unfolded, Junior high, you start having, we were touching on the American dream that morphed um, into uh, an anti-American sentiment mm -hmm. uh, for you. And it was, at your, during your time, it was before Twitter. It was before that kind of influence. Yeah. It was more through um, what the seeds that were planted through uh, anti-American rhetoric, sure. through Telemundo, uh, Friends, Biology, biology teacher, <laughs> yeah. whoever it might be along the way. And that just continued to uh, grow until you, you said your senior year is when you were the most active uh, in Antifa. Mm. So tell us between junior high and that senior year, what, was, what developed and, and what, uh, what was the impetus? You know what I mean? What was the catalyst as he, it just kept growing? Well, all throughout middle school, well, towards the end of middle school and, and high school, I was doing um, a lot of protests, a lot of different, for a lot of different causes, whether it be for animal rights, anti-war protests, pro-union things. But the, the day that I finally decided to put on the black mask was because I saw on the news that the National Socialist Movement was going to march in Claremont, California. And it's right here in the San Gabriel Valley. Mm -hmm. And I remember the National Socialist Movement, just so people know, it's a neo-Nazi group. It's a very, very hateful group. It's, they, they're ridiculous. They wear the American flag and the swastika right next to each other as if the two coincided. They make absolutely no sense. But now, I'm 17 at the time. I saw them coming and I thought, you know what? I've been preparing for this. I need to take that step and actually go oppose them. At the time, I already knew about Antifa and what it was because a lot of the music that I listened to, um, be, go, without going into a really long tangent, modern Antifa actually started through the punk music scene. And yeah. it started through the anti-racist action in, two, in, 2000 and, um, sorry, in 1980s and then reorganized as Antifa in the mid-2000s. So having that history from the punk movement, I already knew what Antifa was. And I already knew about the black block where is when you uh, dress up in all black. 
So when I saw the National Socialist Movement going to Claremont, I went and I bought clothes. I got uh, bandanas. I got everything that I needed to do it. Got your uniform. <laughs> Essentially got my uniform. Before you go on, because you went into this more in our uh, meeting beforehand, Gabriel. It started in the punk movement and then it just leaps into that. When they came to town, the punk movement, and then they would uh, come against some of the skinheads. and, yeah. and vers- Explain that just a little bit because I think it gives it a little bit more context how it began and with the t- punk movement. Sure. Now... The original Antifa, of course, comes from Germany, and that's we can have a discussion about the political motives in that, but the modern Antifa comes from, again, the punk scene, and it organized in the United States, specifically in Minnesota, as the anti-racist action. Okay. The anti-racist action was a legitimate group, unlike modern Antifa, and they would actually tour with punk rock bands to go fight skinheads and also um, other white supremacists. And specifically, uh, I'm, I'm going to name some people. There's this guy <laughs> named Sid Vicious in, in like from the Sex Pistols in the 1976. Yeah. A lot of, he's one of those like famous punks that everyone yeah. knows. Well, he, had a, he used to wear a shirt with a swastika on it just for shock factor. He wasn't a Nazi, but just for shock factor. And that was the whole like punk of the 70s and stuff. Just kind of shocking. Well, a lot of other punks took that to heart. <laughs> and then by the 80s, you actually had legitimate skinhead groups that were white supremacists kind of from that. Well, the anti-racist action was formed specifically to fight against that faction within the punk movement. Okay. They would actually tour around um, and go fight them on the streets at venues and all gigs. It wasn't until 2007 when I believe it was the Rose City Antifa in Portland, the first anti-racist action group that reorganized as an Antifa group. They used the name Antifa. And the reason they did that was to show that they were no longer just opposing racist. They were now tackling feminist issues, uh, sexist issues, and kind of more broad than just like, quote unquote, fascism. Mm -hmm. That's kind of that context. So myself, I kind of grew up listening to a lot of punk rock music and like um, anarcho-punk, cross-punk, all these different things. And typically, one of the things that they would do is they would sell a record or a CD or a cassette tape. And inside that, not only would they have the lyrics as normally they do, they would actually give you the history of different small little movements of what they were up to, as well as... um, my stuff was dated because the stuff that I picked up was bands from the 90s, but they would also have posters or like little call to actions of like, oh, we're doing this, contact us now. It's so, like little propaganda things mixed yeah, yeah. in with the mu- which music is an incredible catalyst, mm-hmm. catalyst for uh, any group, you know, and to carry that yeah. banner forward. So that's kind of how I knew about Antifa. Mm. Fast forward to the National Socialist Movement, I went dressed in black and I remember... I kind of felt a little bit foolish because I I went there specifically to this thing that was like a rally for peace. And there was a lot of hippies, a lot of people like singing peace. And I was just the only person dressed in black. And I was like, oh, okay. Then your friend showed up. (laughs) No, but then I was standing behind a tree, kind of just looking at the area, thinking maybe I should go home. You know, we're not going to do anything. Then this guy came up to me and he's like dressed in black as well. I was like, hey, we're looking at you. You want to join us to to go oppose the Nazis. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> was that, so you're saying is back 
back before you had a lot of the social media platforms to be able to get the message out. So was it like the, the vegan group and some of the other groups that you were in, you met and said, hey, we're going to go do this too. So what was the methodology for communicating to find out, hey, I'm going to do this Claremont thing. What methodologies did they use back then? And c can you compare and contrast how that is now? Because sure. these groups are able to just set wildfire. I mean, yeah, I mean, social media has definitely just exploded in, in organizing for, not just for NT, but for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's now this way you connect with people. Specifically for me, I remember just going there and a lot of things were wor uh, word of mouth. Um, or they would show, sometimes tell you, oh, there's this gig or there's this um, music show. You'd show up and then you'd have those conversations about like the next political event. As far as um, in the internet, there are some events that were publicized, such as anarchist book fairs that I attended in, in uh, Los Angeles and as well as Orange County. But then once you got there, you met up with people and then more serious organizing got took hold. Yeah. Um, and again, um, I feel dated because I am before... <laughs> I am before Twitter and I am before, I mean, so Facebook was around, but it wasn't used in the same way that it is being used today to organize so many movements. So yeah. what I did was very word of mouth, sometimes texting people or flyers and all that stuff. But modernly, I mean, to give you an example, amid the, in the beginning of the George Floyd riots, you had um, the Young Democratic Socialists of America, specifically in Minnesota, and I think it might have been St. Paul. They were calling out uh, for help, for supplies, for just bodies to go riot and fight against a police precinct in St. Paul, Minnesota. I mean, those right. tweets are, were public and out, they're out there. Right. So social media has just magnified the way that Antifa has been able to organize mm -hmm. all throughout the country. How has... You know, there's all these stories about the funding, how it's back. Oh. You know, the the you know, well, you could see it on uh -huh. the videos where you know there here's a pallet of bricks or all the supplies that are needed. What what's your knowledge or or, or or the methodologies that were used for that stuff to happen? So as far as funding, I get this question a lot, and a lot of people think it's George Soros behind it all. And I can say that I I mean I have no like evidence that that's ever the case. Everything that I saw was always grassroots. It was always like, I mean, I had a job and I paid for my, my things. I started a distro, a distro meaning like I would sell patches, shirts, and the things that I would make to fund my, my activities. That was basically the, the basis for every, everybody in the movement as far as for my own experience. That being said, the Antifa movement is much more organized today than anything that I ever saw. And if you look at it, you have, they pay, uh, for example, Mark Bray, he wrote the book Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook. He's mm -hmm. a professor at, uh, I think he was a lecturer at Dartmouth and now he's at, uh, at Rutgers. He wrote this book and he said that he was donating half the proceeds of the book to an unnamed organization to fund Antifa activities. Mm -hmm. And now I'm wondering, what organization is that? I mean, they're definitely keeping it secret, and they must be getting funding from somewhere. I just, I'm a little bit too far removed to be really telling you where that money yeah. is going. You know, the, the other thing that's interesting is that when you see some of these people interviewed on the news media, mm -hmm. and they ask them what their opinion is on this or that, they don't have a really good, solid knowledge of why they're even there, which kind of lends itself to the idea that... 
They're paid to be protesting there because when you ask them, what do you stand for? They don't really know. I don't think a lot of people are being paid out there. Maybe somebody's getting paid out there, but the vast majority of people out there breaking windows and doing all these things, they're doing them, doing it on their own. And that's a much scarier fact Right. than anyone getting paid right. because it shows that they're being motivated by their own hatred of the system, that they're willing to hurt people. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what people don't get is the motivation of hate that is really, uh, and you can look at it as specific groups, but ultimately it's a hatred of America mm-hmm. and what America stands for and mm-hmm. the inequality of things and uh, the oppressor and anybody that wants to dialogue and we're going to split this up into two parts, Gabriel, just because we're really enjoying this time. (laughs) And so we're going to wrap this up for this one here and, uh, want you to tune in tomorrow for the next one. Uh, or I guess it'll be the day after possibly, um, so that we can, um, really, We've heard the first half of Gabriel's story, but now what he's doing uh, and how he came out of Antifa is just as equally fascinating. So we don't want to miss that. So we're going to pray and we're going to send you off with a blessing and then we're going to come right back for the rest of Gabriel's story. Thanks for being with us, Gabriel. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night and just the illumination of a story like Gabriel's that has come through this process and here to share with us tonight. And I just pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to take uh, this time and use it fruitfully. Lord, we pray for Pastor Rob and Charlie uh, Kirk out on the road. We pray that you would just bless their endeavors. God speed to them, Lord. And we pray also for the non-essential event coming up this Saturday. In, uh, in Jack Hibbs's Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills. We just pray for your blessing upon that. And Lord, we just commit uh, our lives into your hands that we would be salt and light for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. We want to send you off with this uh, priestly blessing. Anything else, Dave, before we go? I... Nope, nope. We got all the reminders at the beginning and we're excited to hear about the second half when we have you on. Thank you, I appreciate it. All right, let's have that blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you. See you next time.